We've been in a series called Undefeated. Undefeated. We began this last week, and if you missed the foundational message of the series, you got to go back and listen to it. It's available on our website. It'll be available also through iTunes, through podcasting, uh, and we would encourage you to listen to those. Uh, also, that, that is going to be available in our soon-released app. We have a church app for you. Uh, that all those messages will also be on, on Android platforms and, and iPhone platforms as well. So we want to make sure that you utilize all the tools available to dig into the Word. Also, for those of you who like uh, just to use the website, albanync.org, you go to Messages, you'll find our message notes right there available for you today as well. First John chapter 5 talks about how that as children of God... We defeat the evil world. In fact, it goes like this, 1 John chapter 5, for every child of God defeats this evil world. That's our basis, friends, for this series. If you're a child of God, Bible says, John says, because John walked with Jesus, John faced horrific hardship, and he said, a child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory not through our intuition, not through being smart enough, trying hard enough. How do we do it? Through our faith. We have this victory through our faith. And last week, kind of our banner idea for this whole series has been this. It's time to start living out our God-given, Christ-enabled, Spirit-empowered, victorious life. Too many of us do not live in that kind of victory. We live as beat-up Christians, defeated Christians. And that's exactly where the enemy of our souls wants you and me to be defeated. Why? Because we don't do anything of significance when we're licking our wounds and living defeated lives. When Christ has so much more for you than that. All right, so we talked about last week how the Trinity is for you. I mean, the Trinity, come on, the same ones who created is for you. So we talked about being super conquerors last week. So if you missed that, please make sure you go back and and catch it. But if we're super conquerors, then Kelly, I have to ask the question, Why does God allow temptation? If we're to be undefeated people, if we're to be super conquerors, then why doesn't God just remove the temptation to sin? We're going to explore that topic a little bit today because temptation seems to be very attractive, doesn't it? Temptation seems to be powerful. It seems to be unrelenting. Why doesn't God just remove that? Why doesn't he just change our nature, which, by the way, he does over time, but why doesn't he just take off that edge? In fact, you know what? One of the things I've, I've kind of done is I've, I've made some suggestions for God. Anybody ever done that before? God, I've got some suggestions for you. The reason we can't live victorious lives often is because of this one word temptation. So God, here's some suggestions I have for you. First of all, destroy the devil. I mean, why don't you just destroy him? Just get rid of him. I mean, you you did it at Calvary in a different kind of way. Why not just totally get rid of it? I mean, wouldn't the Garden of Eden been a way different story had there been no devil, no serpent testing Eve? Why don't you just destroy the power of the enemy? Because The presence of Satan in the garden and the presence of Satan and his horde of demons in our world today seems to tip the scales toward evil. And that's why we see such evil around us. Wouldn't it be better just to get rid of that? In fact, we know that when we as Christians are wrestling and fighting with temptation, we are fighting a force of evil. In fact, that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. He says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, so it's not your husband. Right, ladies? Not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
which by the way, 1 John tells us that we defeated the evil world, right? And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So God, why don't you just destroy the devil? Just get rid of it. Or I've said, God, why don't you at least dampen my passion? Why don't you take the edge off of my passion? It would be a lot easier if I just didn't have these enticements and this sense of wanting to live for my flesh. So could you just turn down the heat and dampen these feelings that I have? 1 John chapter, or not 1 John, James chapter 1 verse 14 tells us this, that each person is tempted when we are basically dragged away or enticed by our own evil desires. So God, why don't you just get rid of the evil desires? Why don't you just dampen my passions that keeps luring me down a path that I continue to follow? Just get rid of it. I mean, you are the power source of the world. Can't you just take the edge off? I've also told God this, you know what, God, why don't you just detour me from the temptation? Why allow me to walk into temptation? Just can't you work kind of ahead of me and and disarm the landmines that are waiting as I come? The truth is God doesn't shield us from circumstances where we're vulnerable to sin. We're going to talk more about that later. In fact, if you remember, it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. So, God, why can't you just detour me away from that? Because the truth is, God does lead us at times into situations that stimulate our, sil- our sinful desires. Now, that's not the same as God tempting us, because that same James chapter 1 tells us in the first part of that, verse 13, that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Right, so the issue isn't God tempting you, but he does allow us to be in situations. So God, why don't you just detour me away from that? Why don't you just clear my path of those things? But God has not shielded us from the places or the power of cruel temptation. So Satan has access to our lives, and our sinful nature is unrestricted at work in our lives. We're saved, but we still wrestle against this flesh, don't we? So every day we're going to find ourselves in situations that contribute to secret or maybe even some not-so-secret sin. So which brings us back to the big question, why temptation then? God, if we're supposed to live undefeated, why temptation? And maybe you've been there where I'm at. God, why don't you just take this away? Let's talk about what temptation is first. Temptation is an enticement towards sin, which leads us to a deliberate act of evil against God or against our neighbor. That's what temptation is. It's an enticement towards sin. And the thing about temptation is it's universal. Everywhere in the world, you're going to find people who are tempted. The truth is you were tempted yesterday. You're probably going to be tempted today, and you will be tempted tomorrow. Temptation is universal. 1 Corinthians 10.13 puts it this way, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, all of us, men, women, child, teens, we all face temptation. It's universal. Temptation isn't, though, a sign of spiritual weakness. See, some of you feel like you're a loser because you're tempted all the time. And the truth is, it's not a sign of spiritual weakness. How do I know that? Because, again, Jesus himself was tempted. Was he a spiritually weak person? No. It's not spiritual weakness. It's just a reality. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, we talked about it. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Why? Because he was weak? No. We'll talk more about why as we get into the series. 
But in Hebrews chapter 4, 4 verse 15, Hebrews 4, 15, I'm so glad Jesus was. Here's why. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet did not sin. So it's not a sign of weakness, or Jesus is a weak man, and he's not. No one is exempted from being tempted. Nice rhyme, right? No one is exempted from being tempted. Temptation doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Some of you feel like, man, God must hate me. Man, all the stuff I'm going through, come on, God, what's going on? Don't you like me at least? No. Temptation does not mean that God doesn't love you. In fact, again, Matthew 4, right before Jesus was led to the wilderness to be tempted, what happened? He was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Okay? When he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit lighted upon him. And what happened? The Father spoke and he said what? Jesus, I'm kind of mad at you right now, so I'm going to send you into the, temp- into the desert to be tempted. Right? No, what happens? This is my son, identity, with whom I'm well pleased. God's favor was on him. God's love was on him. And right out of that, he sent him into the wilderness to be tempted. So it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Temptation doesn't come from, or sorry, temptation is not a sin. That's another key point that people need to understand. And I know that you know that, but here's why this is important. Some people are too ashamed to talk about their temptation because they feel dirty about it. The reality is your temptation is not a sin. It's sin when we yield to it, when we disobey God, when we choose to bite on that bait, and when we choose to be enticed. But temptation is not sin. So it's okay to talk to people about what you're feeling because there should be no shame with that. And then finally, as I've already said, temptation doesn't come from God. While it can be used by God for our good, it doesn't originate with Him. We are tempted by our evil desires, James 1.13 tells us, right? It's within us. It's our own propensity to sin or it's the enemy himself tempting us, isn't the case of Jesus. So there can be actual valid reasons why we should be tempted. So why should we? Why should God allow temptation? Here's the first one. Temptation is a test of allegiance. Temptation is a test of allegiance. Believe it or not, God loves you. And because he loves you, he tests your allegiance. Temptation with all of its potential for failure is God's method of testing our loyalties. In fact, we cannot say that we love someone unless we are willing to make some tough choices for them, right? I mean, think about it. When you got married, you made some tough choices to give up your way of living to become two. Well, two, one. You get the idea. To live as one. And that means that, guys, you've had to make some hard decisions on behalf of your wife. And wives, you've had to make some hard decisions on behalf of your husband. But when you make those difficult decisions for them, what does it do? It honors them. It affirms that Love. That's why you do the things with your wife that you wouldn't do with a handful of men. Because you love her. And you make those hard choices to do what you do for them. You, 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 you wait in those long school lines to drop your kid off. Why? Because you love them. I don't just drop them at the, at the corner and say, there's the school walk. I do what's uncomfortable and a little bit testing my patience. Why people take forever in the drop-off zone, I don't know. I feel like getting out and directing traffic. People, quit being idiots. Here's how we do this. We all pull forward. We get all of our kids out quickly. No, no long hugs and kisses in the car. And then you pull out. 
Right? I do hard things like that. Wait patiently. Why? Because I love my kids. And I do hard things for them. So do you love the Lord? Are you making decisions that back that up? Because what happens when you're confronted with a tough decision? You have a choice to choose for the world or choose for God. And too many times we as followers of Jesus choose for our evil desires and our passions and our lusts and not for God. You see, God wants us to develop passion for him that is greater than our passion to sin. But how is he going to do that? Through temptation. In fact, our response to temptation would be an accurate indicator of our love for God. I know that this is where the rubber meets the road, and it's kind of hard medicine to swallow, but our response to temptation tells us something about our love for God. And if I'm continuing to yield to my own passion, what am I ultimately saying to God? I like you, God, but I don't love you as much as this. And that's dangerous ground, friends. Because those temptations aren't to keep you feeling defeated, it's to prove your loyalties to God. In fact, 1 John 2.15 says it this way, do not love the world or anything in the world. That doesn't mean you can't be good and enjoy the life that God has given you here, but he's talking about the, the direction of your heart, right? The passion of your heart. Do not love the world or anything in the world. That means the pattern of this world, the character of this world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So when we're making choices toward our own evil desires, we need to be very, very aware of what we're saying to God. Let me give you an example. Joseph of the Old Testament, you know the story, right? The youngest of his brothers at this point in the story, he's daddy's favorite, he gets the coat, he has these dreams, his brothers hate him, and so they decide to kill him, but then they decide, well, maybe that's not the best approach, let's just sell him as a slave. And so they sell him as a slave, he finds himself now as uh, owned by Potiphar in Egypt, and in Potiphar's household, he has a wife. We don't know much about her except that she liked Joseph, and she probably was a gorgeous woman. I make that assumption because here's a man of prominence in Egypt, man of wealth, and he probably found a very beautiful bride. And Potiphar's wife has a thing for this young, handsome Joseph who came into her house. And it almost looks like a soap opera, getting ready to play out. Every day, she goes to Joseph, says, why don't you go to bed with me? Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. He's far away from home. He didn't do anything to ask for this to happen to him. He was just living life. God was giving him dreams about things that he didn't understand. And now he finds himself far away from home as a slave in somebody else's house. God, don't I deserve this? Can't I just take a little pleasure now? Because life has not been good to me. So what does it matter if I have an affair with this woman? How many times do we talk ourselves into our failures because we think we deserve it? God, you know what? I've been good. It's just time for me now. It's just me time. And why, why couldn't Joseph do that, right? Come on. No one's going to know. In fact, Potiphar's wife, she's beautiful. We can have this thing and even Potiphar wouldn't know. We can keep it a secret. Every day. But look at what he says. This is Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. My master, Joseph says, has withheld nothing from me except you. 
because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? No, who's he saying? Sin against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. The point was, every day she was making herself available to Joseph. And any moment he could have been weak. And he could have finally said, you know what, my resolve is gone. And I'm sick of this. And I might as well enjoy this life and take this pleasure because I deserve it. But what happens? Every day he refused to go to bed with her or, smart guy, even be with her. So when she walked into the room, he found a reason to be out of the room. And Potiphar's house was big enough that she could keep making her way away. Now, you know the story, how it plays out. Not very good for Joseph. Because of his integrity, because he won't. You know how the story plays out. Potiphar accuses him of rape, finds himself in prison. That's a whole different story for a different day. But he stands his ground. Why? Because he wants to let God know, I I love you, even though life sucks right now. I still love you, God. And I believe you have a plan and purpose for me that's not this. That's not an affair with a woman who just has feelings. Your purpose is greater than this, God. And the same principle applies to us, friends. Each temptation leaves us better or worse. Neutrality is impossible. Every time you face temptation, you're going to come out on the other side with something. Either you're going to have a regret that we've already talked about and starting over, so go back and listen to that series, or you're going to say, you know what? I'm the better for it. That God is developing in me. That's why God allows the presence of evil, sin, and temptation in our world. Because when we say no to those passions that always call us, what are we saying yes to? We're saying yes to God and how appealing and pleasing and honoring that is to Him. Number two, temptation can produce transformed passions. So not only is it an opportunity to prove our loyalties, but it actually has some good to do within us, to transform those passions that we were hoping God could just take the edge off of. God's not into just doing a little tweaking. He wants to change us and transform us. God doesn't make our choices easier when it comes to temptation because that's his process for character development. In fact, sinful habits, they have that weight kind of on our soul, but that's only half of the equation. These temptations, these struggles, and even, yes, your failures can be used by God to help you grow up spiritually. I think there's a lot of Christians who just are stunted in their growth because they're not pushing through this point. They're not allowing that growth to take place because we often see our struggles as a liability. When they're not a liability... (laughs) an opportunity for strength to happen in our lives. How many of you discovered that character is best formed in the storms of life? Right? Some of you have been through very difficult things. And because of that, depending on how you choose, chose to respond, you became better for it. And you had character develop. People go, wow, something's changed in you. Yeah, I went through this stuff and God was showing me things and he's, he's transformed me. How many know that Victory is best realized in the midst of conflict, right? You're going to face it. That's where victory happens. But it's also where character is forged, in the fires of trial. God wants to do something more beautiful in our lives than simply give us victory over sin. And I'm so glad. He could just take it away and we'd have victory, but we wouldn't grow through those hard times. 
He wants to replace it with something better. He wants to replace that with a positive character of a fruit-filled life that's going to honor him and bless others. See, temptation is God's magnifying glass, and it shows us how much work he has left to do. And I got to tell you, friends, he still has work to do in me, and he still has work to do in each one of us. Let me give you another example. The nation of Israel had been in captivity in Egypt. And Moses was sent to be the deliverer, and so he delivered them out through these mighty acts of God. And they leave Egypt, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And it was during those wanderings that God was dealing with Israel, because he had to do a work in them. And in fact, through their hunger, when they complained to God, were hungry. Through their thirst, when they complained about being thirsty and were about to cause a rebellion and leave, that God provided for them water from a rock. You see, without hitting those hard spots of being hungry, of being thirsty, they wouldn't have seen their rebellion that was within all their hearts. But God let them come to that point where they discovered what was within them. In fact, Deuteronomy, I think, says it best. Listen to it, Deuteronomy 8. This is on the other side of that story. They're about to enter the promised land, and Moses is reminding them of what they have done. And he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? Because God didn't have directions on how to get to the promised land? And he was waiting for the internet to be developed so finally he could look it up on maps and go, oh, that's where the promised land is. Sorry, guys, you've been circling around the wilderness for 40 years. I couldn't figure it out. No. Listen, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. So when they got hungry and they got thirsty, what was in their heart? Rebellion. Not trust. They weren't thinking, hey, God's going to give us some manna from the sky, I bet. No, that was rebellion in their hearts. And so they faced these things. Why? So that rebellion could be revealed. And God could deal with it and show them, you don't have to rebel. You can trust me because I'll be a provider for you. I'll satisfy your longings in a way that honors me. Not that just lives for yourself. So again, temptation brings out the best or, or the worst in us. In fact, temptation brings the impurities to the surface of our heart. That's why we go through things. How many know that you've been facing the same temptation because you know God is dealing with you in a certain area of your life? And for some, it's lust. And you're continually tempted with pornography or with sinful relationships because you know there's a heart issue of lust that God is trying to deal with. And until you yield that to the power of the Holy Spirit and find victory, you're going to keep being stunted in your growth. And so he does these, white To reveal impurities in your heart. There are attitudes that you have that get revealed when you become tempted or you become trialed or pressured and it brings up anger and that anger brings out unhealthy emotions and all of a sudden you're recognizing, whoa, where did that come from? Well, it came from within and God was showing you there's some things that I want to deal with still that we wouldn't know if we hadn't faced temptation. Also, thirdly, temptation can bring strength to our weakness. Strength to our weakness. See, God uses our sins, our temptations, to show his grace and the power of his grace at work in our life. Look at Romans chapter 5. This is in the message translation, because I think that Eugene Peterson puts it wonderfully, eloquently here. He says this, that sin didn't and doesn't 
have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, a world without end. What is his point? We think about grace too narrowly. We either think it's something we say before we eat, and we just get it out of the way because I'm hungry. Or we only think of it as in terms of our salvation and how God had grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me, right? So we think about it at this point of salvation. But we don't recognize that grace is and always will be at work in our lives as Christians. So what is grace? Simply put, you've heard me say it before, I'm sure, if you've been here. Grace is God's ability at work in our inability. Okay, that's what it is. That's simple. Grace is God's ability at work in our inability. Let me give you an example. You could not save yourself. The law was powerless to save you. All it could do is reveal how sinful and bad you were. So you can't save yourself. What? You needed grace. Grace was the element that made you able in your inability because of God to be saved. So you weren't saved by your works. You were saved by, and we say the word, grace. Now, how many know the same thing is at work in our temptation? You cannot fight temptation in your own strength. You will lose every time. You don't have enough resolve within you. Why? Because if I'm leaning on my flesh to save me, but yet it's also the flesh that wants to be satisfied, how is that going to work? So what do I need? I need grace. I need God's ability in my inability so that I can overcome by his power at work so mightily within me. In fact, Paul talks about it in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul gets this thing called a thorn in his flesh. I wish we could know what that was. Some say it was his eyesight. Others say it was a passion, a desire, an issue of pride. We don't know exactly, but he touches on it here. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, and three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You ever been there before, like Paul? God, why can't you just take this away from me? Why is this addiction so strong? Why is this longing in my heart that's wrong so strong? Can't you just take it away from me? He could. But he's got something better. Listen. But he said to me, this would be the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So I can look like a bad guy? So I can sound like I'm a terrible person? No. But it's so that Christ's power may rest on me. If you're tormented by an especially stubborn sin, you may be on the verge of experiencing sufficient grace that can help you. And your inability to overcome, you never will. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb when it comes to our sin and the word of our testimony, and the same thing's going to happen when it comes to our temptation to sin. We overcome through His ability. So don't become preoccupied with your struggle, which is what we always do, right? Become preoccupied with your Savior because that's what he wants to do. Save you by his grace, his power at work in your inability. So why why temptation? Why? 
Because God strikes at the motivation of our heart. And he wants to do work there. And what I love about God is he's not about just putting a new coat of paint on an ugly building. He's not about just polishing, express the, forgive the expression, but polishing a turd. He's not about just polishing a turd to make it look good. He is about transformation. He is about change. He is about character development. Why? Because God's plan for each one of us who call ourselves children of God is that we would be transformed more into the image of Christ daily. That's why we face temptation. Because God's not done with this yet. He's working in your heart and he's revealing things to you. But you're going, Kelly, you don't know the temptation I face. It is so hard and I continue to yield. Yes, you do. And as long as you keep trying, you will fail every time. So what do you do when you come to that moment when you know that enticement is dragging you away? It's kind of like a trap. You guys have, in fact, that term in James chapter 1 that talks about how we are how we basically sin when we have been drug away and enticed by our evil desires. That word enticement is the word trap. It's what's used by hunters to trap their prey. Now, how many of you ever had a problem with mice before? It's okay. We're not, we won't go inspect your house. I've had problems with mice. We were in a brand new house, and we had problems with mice. And it was irritating. They were like living underneath our stove. And one night I sat on the couch and I saw this little guy scurry across the, yard, the, the, the carpet. And I thought, oh my goodness, we got a problem here. So here's what I didn't do. I didn't just put food out for the mice and say, hey, come bring your friends. We like having you here. I mean, some of you might be that way and that's okay. I'm not. So I went down to Home Depot and I bought a trap. And you know what trap I bought? That simple old wooden spring trap that many of you still are afraid of because <laughs> you're like, I don't know if I can set this thing. Put it down on the floor of my stove, a little bit of peanut butter on it, Just laying in bed that night, clack, got up, sure enough, there's a mouse in that trap, threw him away, baited it, put it back down. Not three hours later, whack took it out, threw it away. Next morning, whack, took it out, threw it away. Five of them. Now, here's the question. Weren't they paying attention? <laughs> right, right? I mean, think about it. There's a little mice all looking. Oh, there goes Johnny. He's going to the rectangle box. It's peanut butter on there. Weren't they watching? Weren't they paying attention? The thing about that trap is the mouse is not smart enough to know. Shouldn't we be smart enough to know that every time that temptation comes, we know where it's going to lead. And we're the mouse that keeps walking to the trap. But here's the thing, friends. Temptation isn't terminal. And this is something we have to begin to understand. It's not terminal. In fact, temptation can be the gateway to living an undefeated life. What do we do in that moment when we feel that temptation rise so strong? We're going to talk about it in weeks to come. 
But it doesn't have to be terminal. Some of you are living absolutely in shame and self-hatred because of the way you've been responding to temptation. And it's time to stop and recognize it's not terminal. God's not done with you. The reason this is happening is God is at work in you. Now, he doesn't want you to keep sinning, friends. But by his grace, he's allowing you to keep putting yourselves in situations where you're going to be tempted. Why? Because he wants to do a work in you, not just do something for you. So he doesn't remove the bait. He doesn't take away the temptation because he knows the greater work is the work in you. When you, by his grace, stand, Ephesians 6, stand firm in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's possible, friends. Some of you going, Kelly, you don't know. I have years, years of yielding to this temptation again and again and again. We're going to talk about how you can overcome those in the future, but this is why God's not done with you yet. Don't give up hope. It's not terminal. In fact, it's the gateway to an undefeated life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're not done. You're not done with me. You're not done with anybody under the sound of my voice. Because if we are willing, you are able. So God, I I know this is weird, but we say thank you for temptation. Because through that, we're, yes, we're proving our loyalties to you. And yes, there's, there's a work you're wanting to do in us. You're revealing some things about ourselves. But God, I, I pray that each one of us, under the sound of my voice, would not feel condemned today. When we talk about temptation, our thoughts go to the thing that continues to plague us. And there's that one thing we can all think of in our own lives that takes center stage every time. But God, we're not going to let it defeat us. Because if we're a child of God, then we have defeated this evil world and we have the victory through our faith that is in you and your grace that is sufficient for us. So your power can be made perfect in our weakness. So God, I pray for my friends today as I pray for myself that when temptation comes, and it will, that we can pause in that moment and say, God, may your grace be at work in my weakness because I know the path that I have always paved in this area. But God, would you bring the victory because of your grace today? And I pray would stand. So thank you for temptation and what it's doing in our life and how it's transforming us by the power of your spirit. Now, if anybody's here today and maybe you came because somebody invited you and you like the sound of living a victorious life, but you've not yet made a decision to commit Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You'll never enter victory, friends, in your own strength, and you'll never enter salvation in your own goodness. The Bible makes it pretty clear that we need Jesus, a Savior that God provided for you. That's how we live a God-given, Christ-enabled, Spirit-empowered, victorious life is through Christ. And so if you're here and you're saying, Kelly, I, I feel like I need to put my trust in Jesus today. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to raise a hand and say, that's me, Kelly. Will you pray with me today? Because I made that decision personally. Thank you. Anybody else? I made that decision. Thank you in the back. I see you. Anybody else? I've made that decision. I need that. Thank you. 
Anybody else before I pray with you? I need Jesus today, Kelly. I know that I've been trying and I've been failing and I hate it. I need Jesus. Yes, he loves you and he will forgive you. If you need him, just raise a hand and say, that's me, Kelly. Thank you. Anybody else? Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for every person, every person who raised a hand today signifying their need of you. Jesus, you love them. And you've brought them to this point today for this purpose. They didn't come on accident. They didn't come because just because somebody drug them here, that might be why they arrived, but that's not why they're here. They're here because you are wanting to do a work in their life that only you can do. So thank you that you love them. Thank you, Jesus, you went to the cross for my sin and for their sin. And because of that, we can do what 1 John 1, 9 says, that we can confess our sins. And you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to purify us. That means all the baggage that came with our history, all the shame, all the guilt, all the self-hatred, the depression, all of that, Jesus, you purify from all unrighteousness. And you offer us life today. So thank you, Jesus. Each one of you that raised a hand, just say, Lord, I need you today. And I believe, I believe in you, that you're my Savior. You're my Lord. I commit my life to you today, anew and afresh. Would you forgive me and set my feet on a rock to follow you all the days of my life, Jesus? I love you. Thank you, Lord, for those commitments today. And if that's a commitment you made, do me one more favor. If you still happen to have that connection card sitting around by the bulletin, we want to know about your commitment that you made, and we want to encourage you, pray for you. We won't harass you, I promise, but we don't want you to journey this beginning alone. It'd be cruel for us to do that to you. It'd be like delivering a baby and then just leaving it alone. We can't do that. We want to help you on this journey. We have some information to get into your hands to help you on that faith journey. In fact, I'm going to dismiss uh, Pastor Steve into the back corner just to be available in the back of the auditorium. And as we dismiss today, if you want a book that kind of helps you get that start in your life going as a follower of Jesus, see Pastor Stephen. He'd love to connect with you before you leave today. Let's stand this morning. It's time to live a God-given, Christ-enabled, Spirit-empowered, victorious life. And that means you're going to face temptation today. You're going to face it tomorrow. But you don't face it alone. And we'll learn more about how to face that next time we join together on Undefeated.